The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. And today I'm even more excited because I get to share with all y'all, but my mom is here from Oregon. I know. Like, this is, this is awesome. I'm, I'm, this is a real treat for me to, again, just to be able to talk about Jesus and who he is and what he's done in my life and how he's been able to exchange some of the different things in my life that haven't been so good and some of them have been good, exchange them out for what he has and for what he wants and for what Jesus' purposes are um, for my life. And so I'm excited to share that with you today as we talk about this newborn king, about responding to the newborn king and how that is the greatest gift exchange we could, um, we could ever experience. And so uh, we're going to jump right into it this morning. Uh, we're going to jump into Matthew 2, and um, I'm going to read it here. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And that word disturbed right there, it doesn't, it's not like he's questioning what's going on. What that word actually translates to is agitated. He was, he was agitated. There was something stirring up inside of him when he heard that the king was being born, that the Messiah was coming. It's something agitated inside of him when he heard this news. And all Jerusalem with him. When he called together, when, when Herod called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has, writ- was written, has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd, who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Wink, wink, nod, nod. After they had heard the king, they went out on their way, and the star they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed, right? So let's just start looking at these two differences. We have somebody who's disturbed by the very thought of this Messiah, this this king to be worshipped, and we have people who are overjoyed, who are so excited to have found this little baby that had been born, uh, Emmanuel, God with us. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And and having been warned in a dream not to go back uh, to Herod, they returned to the country by another route. We're going to skip down to verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem. And its vicinity, who are two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And it's just, you know, you read that and it's heavy stuff, right? But it's just so, so interesting what an impact an infant can have, right? This is a little baby who hasn't even said a word. And already people are traveling from so far and people are being so agitated to do incredible, horribly things 
but from just a little infant, right? And it's like, I think, like, we have a little baby Juliet, you know, and, and man, like, infants can have an impact on our lives. So Jenna was out of town for a couple of days to celebrate her dad retiring, and I was at home with the three older kids, and honestly, it was, it was some ups and downs, but it was pretty easy. I'm just going to say, like, the kids, like, they can bathe themselves. They didn't take a bath the whole time. Uh, they can change their clothes. They wore the same clothes for three days straight. They can feed themselves. They ate cold fish and applesauce pouches. Uh, they can do a lot of things for themselves, right? Whereas Juliet, when she's home, she's high. She's every, every st- you need everything needs to be done for her. You have to wash her hands. And she's so cute, guys. Like, when I go to wash her hands after she's eating, I, I've done this thing. And Jenna didn't know what was going on. But when I put her on the counter to wash her hands, and I'm waiting for the water to get warm, I'll do this. So every time we put Juliet on the counter, she just starts going... And Jenna's like, what do you want from me? And so I showed her, warming up the water, warming it up. And then she's so sweet. I'm going to talk a little bit more. I'll get the washcloth, and I'll wash her hands. And and when she was a newborn, she used to freak out on this. And so when I'd get the washcloth, I'd go, nice, nice. And so now as soon as I put the washcloth on her hand, she looks at me, nice. Oh, just adorable, man. She's so cute. But infants, they, they, they can have such a huge impact. So the other night, Monday night, she got, it's like, uh, it was like going into Tuesday morning, like at 12.30, for basically from 12.30 a.m. to about 6 a.m., Juliet was up puking all night long. It was a nightmare. And I stayed with her, and, you know, she'd fall asleep. She'd start to gurgle. <laughs> and uh, I'd run to the sink and, you know, help her. And then finally at, like, I think it was like 5 in the morning, I was helping her a little bit, and a blueberry plops out. And I was like, there it is. That's the culprit, a moldy blueberry. So she's better now. But it's just fascinating to see what an impact that an infant can have. And we see this story where there's this little baby, Jesus, who hasn't even said a word, who hasn't even spoken a word, and already is causing such an impact in people's lives. And, and when we see that impact, we see these two different responses from this infant king. Long journey, right? Wise men who are eager and determined to travel a long journey, right? If you study a little bit out and kind of do a little research on these guys, they came a long way. They went through a long and even challenging, arduous journey to be able to get to, to this place where they're able to worship and present these, these gifts to the king. And, and I kind of think in some of our lives, it can sometimes be that way too, right? Where we have these different obstacles that are in our lives, whether they're in our own minds or actual things that we're trying to push through and trying to get over so that way we can follow the light that God has for our lives, the path that he has us on. And it can be challenging. And it can be some, I can, I can only speculate what these guys are thinking on this long journey, you know, riding through the desert. Like, it probably wasn't, like, super fun or exciting, you know, but they were focused. They were, um, you know, overjoyed to be able to do this journey and to be able to, to go on this. And, and, and it's a long and difficult journey. And when they got there, they were ready to present their very best. They brought the gold. They brought the frankincense. They brought the myrrh. They brought these precious things to be able to bring to the king and worship him. And, and it's just so fascinating to me when I, when I think about that because he's an infant. What, what does an infant need with gold? And if you expand that out, you go a little bit farther. What, is, what, is, what, is, what does God need with our gold? What is, why, why does God need it? What's going on? Like, he doesn't need the gold. He doesn't need the frankincense. He doesn't need the myrrh. God created all of these things, right? Like the air that we breathe, like it's a gift. And so why would they bring their gift, their best to him, to worship him? I think it's because they knew 
that when they do that, that there would be a response, there would be a reciprocation, there would be an exchange. As they bring their hard, angry, or not hard, angry, but their hard, arduous journey and these gifts, that there's going to be a reciprocation, there's going to be an exchange that was going to happen. And we can see the results from these wise men that they did get something from God. They got divine direction, right? Because in a dream, God says, hey, don't go that way. And so as we're following Jesus, as we're pursuing God, as we're following the light, whatever that might be, and as we're laying down our very best and our very worst, because God can handle it. That's what he's here for. When we do that and we move forward, God gives us divine direction on our life. And and it might not be super clear, but that's where like Pastor Andy was saying, it comes down to trust. Just trust me. I'm God and follow me and and lay down these gifts. And so we can kind of look at that on, on the flip side, with Herod, who was disturbed and agitated. And why was Herod disturbed and agitated? If you know a little bit about his history, you look about who he is, and obviously we can see in this story just what a kind of psycho this guy was. He was threatened. His pride, his, his, his rulership was threatened by this Messiah. That There was this, this threat that came in to say, hey, somebody's going to be greater than you. Somebody's going to knock you off of your throne. And if you learn about this guy, he was a complete paranoid person. And he was so messed up that when, on, on the day that he died, he had this plan in place to get all of the Jewish leaders, um, people, all their friends, whatever, in the center of a, of a coliseum. The plan was to have them murdered on the day that he died so that there would be mourning instead of celebration. Because he was so messed up, he was so wicked, so evil, that people were going to celebrate. And that plan never came to pass. They, they scrapped the plan once he, when, he, when he died, and they celebrated. And this is somebody who is just so threatened from his own sense of pride, his own sense of, of, you know, look at me, look at my splendor, look at my glory, and worship me, that he would go out and do these horrendous things. And so we have this kind of like, this contrast that's taking place, where we have these humble wise men who are doing everything that they can and bringing everything that they have, their very best, to worship the Messiah. And then we have this other person who's consumed with pride and fear and selfishness that is responding in a pretty horrible way. And there's a contrast there. And the contrast isn't created by their intentions or their motives, Right? I think oftentimes we think that, that, uh, that our, out of our own intentions and out of our own motives, like our own decisions, that the world has shifted, that we make a difference. The reality is, especially with this story and in our own lives, that the contrast is created by the king. The contrast is created by a perfect and a holy God that we are impacted with in our lives. And our response to this person, to Jesus, will determine the results in our lives. And so... In my own life, I've experienced that in a very real way. When I, um, you know, a lot of you guys know my story. I grew up uh, you know, pretty, pretty rough. I grew up with a lot of insecurity, a lot of just self-doubt. There wasn't a whole lot of positive affirmation. It was hard, right? And so there was some, and, and there's some things that happened that just created, again, a lot of insecurity. And when I was 15, I actually started to learn to play guitar. And I learned really well, and I got really good, and it became the sense of just identity for me where this is who I was. So, and as time went on, I got pretty good at it and I got better. I remember in high school, my, my, uh, my nickname was GM for Guitar Master. So that was pretty cool for a 17-year-old kid. And so, you know, insecure thing. There was like, this is my identity. This is, this is me. 
And, and it went from kind of this insecure thing where it's like, you don't, don't worry about Kyle. Don't worry about small, weak, little, you know, pathetic Kyle who can't, you know, do anything. Just look at guitar. That's all it was. It was like this shield to hide my insecurity. It was a shield to hide my weakness because it was the one thing that I had. And as time got on, as I got older, I eventually I moved to Portland, Oregon, and I started playing in a band. And, and, um, and I, you know, it was really cool because, like, I was 19, and these guys were all, like, 10, 15 years older, and they were accomplished musicians, and there was a recording studio and all this stuff, and I was like, this is so cool. Like, I'm, I'm doing it, man. Um, you know, I'm, I'm playing music. We're playing live shows and all this stuff, and uh, we were leaving practice one time, and I still had a good amount of insecurity, and we're leaving practice, and I lived with the bass player at the time, and he was... Um, he was actually a priest for a pagan coven and was all into all kinds of new age, witchcraft, crazy stuff. And I remember we're driving back because we're roommates and I was like, man, yeah, I just keep sucking on this song. I need to get better at this part and all these, all these things because I was just really wanted him to say, hey, Kyle, you're a good boy. You're good. You're good. You got it, buddy. You know, I just wanted that affirmation from him because I looked up to him as a musician. And, and he just, what he says to me as we're driving, he says, Kyle, you've got to realize that you can speak into, okay, let me just pause. He's, again, new age, this is not wisdom, this is crazy stuff. You can speak into your own reality, Kyle. You can become your own God. You can become the God of the guitar if you wanted to. And man, 19-year-old Kyle liked that a lot. I loved it. And so I was like, yeah, man, like, I'm a guitar God. And so from there, like, man, just the pride, the arrogance, the King Herod side of me just was just went went crazy, and the, and we played the rest of the shows and stuff. And eventually that eventually that band dissolved. It kind of you know got shut down, and I was super super depressed because I'd put everything into that band, you know, and um, and I'd sold all of my guitars, all of my amps for drug money, right? Because the band had all the amps, they had all the guitars, they had everything we needed because it was established kind of like you know business, I guess. And so obviously I got kicked out, and um, and I didn't have anything. And I was just done. I was like, I'm just done. Like, there's nothing left. I'm just, I'm just going to just go ahead and exit this world and just be done because I don't want to do this anymore. This sucks. I have no car. I have no guitars. I have no girlfriend. I have nothing. I work at Taco Del Mar and rolling burritos, and there's nothing. And so I was really, really hitting that rock bottom point. Where I was like, I'm just done. And I hear this just whisper in the back of my head, you know, what about me, right? And I say, yeah, okay. And so I reach up to my closet, and I grab my Bible, and I dust it off. And I laid my hand on it. I remember saying, I remember saying, I may not ever understand everything in this, but I'm going to commit my life to this. I'm going to be a warrior for Christ. And I just made that commitment. And, um, and uh, you know, ever since then, God has just transformed so many things and has redeemed so many things. But at that moment, <clears throat> when I'm praying on the Bible and just committing my life to, to, to this, um, I, I made another commitment uh, that I was never going to play guitar again. I was done. I was done. I didn't want to see another guitar. I didn't want to. I didn't. I just was done. Everything that I'd used it for, for my own personal gain, all the pride, all that. I was just. I'm done. I don't want to ever see a guitar again. And so I didn't play for a long time. Um, it was actually probably like two or three months, but it felt like a long time for me. I'm a little thinking about because that was in September, and then by I think end of November, maybe December. So it was a long time for me. I was like, I'm never playing again for at least three months. What had happened is I was going to a new church, and I was hanging out with my friends Stephen and Katie Tees, and Katie Tees, Stephen's wife, uh, she was a worship leader, and I was telling them kind of what my journey, my story, the guitar, the music, and all these different things, and I told her, I was like, I'm just done, I can't, I can't play again, I'm never going to play again. 
I remember Katie telling me, she was like, Kyle, sorry. She's like, what, what, what you need to do is go home and, and get a guitar, because my roommate had a guitar. Go get a guitar and, um, and just start strumming. Just start strumming open chords. She's like, don't try to play for anybody. Don't try to think that you're playing to impress or to show or to prove anything. She's like, just pray and invite God into that. Invite God into that time together and watch what he does. And so it was just, it was just incredible to see how, you know, the response to what Jesus was doing in my life, the results that came out of that, right, to where now, like, honestly, like, I'm, like, I'm not, whatever, like, in complete humility, I'm just trying to be as humble, like, I'm much better than I was back then, and I love to play the guitar so much more, and the impact that it has, and what Jesus is doing with it is so much greater than what it was before, right, and, and it's incredible to see that it's not just with the guitar. It's incredible to see how all these different things that God is restoring in my life that were broken, that were used for not good things, that I selfishly had done, like even as I've gotten mature and gotten older, like different skills, like even speaking and, and leadership of these different things that I've had to bring to Jesus and say, listen, like I, my intentions and my motives, I, I, they're gonna, it's going to go south. I'm going to respond to who you are, Jesus, the impact that you've had on my life. I'm going to bring this to you and exchange it, whatever I think it should be or whatever I want to do with it, for whatever you want to do with it. And out of that has come that divine direction. Out of that has come that restoration, right? Like my mom, my sister, my brother, they're here. We haven't, we haven't been together as a family in probably five, six years, even longer with my sister. And, you know, like it's incredible to see the restoration that God has brought. We're able to hang out and play games and play video games, Stardew Valley, right, Liam May? Oh my gosh, we're able to sit together and go take pictures in the wind. I mean, that's something that Jesus has done. Why? Because myself, my mom, we've said, you know what, Jesus, here's our family, here's our siblings, here's our kids, here it all is, it's yours. Restore it, do what you want with it, because we trust you. We know that we're gonna be able to exchange our pain and our brokenness for your glory, for the splendor of your glory. And it's an exciting thing, and you can do that as well for the different things in your life when you feel like you're hitting a wall, when you feel like this is going nowhere. I'm frustrated, I'm depressed, I'm stressed out, I'm like this. Sometimes I got it, other times I just don't, right? To be able to trust God, even through the ups and the downs, and say, here it is, here's my desire, here's my idea for a business, right? Here, here's my idea to be able to speak to people. Here's my idea to be able to serve. Here's my idea to be able to, to impact this world. I'm going to take my intentions, my motives out of it. I'm going to bring it to you. I'm going to respond in, in, in the way that the wise men had responded by bringing my very best and worshiping you. And God wants to do that for you in a really cool way. And so, um, you know, as we get into this also, right, like we have to also ask, uh, who are we responding to, who, who is this that we're responding to, right? We talked about the little infant, hasn't said a word, and is already impacting people. Well, I want to jump into, uh, let me find it real quick, y'all. Uh, Isaiah 53. It's here, I know it is. Isaiah 53. So this is who we're responding to, right? Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Uh, and so going to Isaiah 53, uh, 10 and 12, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for our sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the, and 
the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand, right? So that's us exchanging our own stuff, giving it to God, saying, Jesus, it's your will, it's in your hand. You let it prosper. Will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And so when we talk about who is this that we're responding to, who is this that's having an impact, this is who we're talking about. We're not talking about a God, a a Messiah, a Christ, a King that's coming to judge and to punish us. We're talking about a King who has come to be judged and punished for us, to take those things upon himself, to exchange our sin, to exchange our shame, our pain, the stuff that's happened to us, the stuff that we've done, to exchange it for salvation, to exchange it for peace, to exchange it for hope, to exchange it for purpose, for clarity, to be able to have fun in life. So he's not come to do that, but he's come to to exchange it out. And then uh, another fun verse to check out, Isaiah 60, um, 18 and 22, no longer. So this is what it looks like. I'm so excited. This is what it looks like once we've responded and we've exchanged. This is what it looks like to be able to follow the king, to be able to be in Jesus' kingdom. No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders, but you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun won't be your light, will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. I mean, how cool is that, right? There's not going to be any more, like, there's not like, you know, this option or these options for responses of one way or the other. All we're going to be able to have is, is what we're going to have is Jesus. He's going to be that light. There's not going to be like this, these different things going, I'm sorry, I'm so excited about this, y'all. <laughs> this is so cool. He's, uh, it's in my mind. It makes sense. I'm not doing a good job articulating it, but I just love that he's going to be that center uh, for us. Then all your people will be righteous, and they will possess the land forever. They are the shoot I have planted, the works of your hands, for the display of my splendor. The least of you will become a thousand, uh, the smallest a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will do this swiftly. And then uh, lastly, uh, Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and to provide those who grieve in Zion, and to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise. Instead of the spirit of despair, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. And it's an incredible thing. That's who we're responding to. That's the impact that Jesus wants to have on our lives, to exchange our despair for joy, to exchange our mourning for praise. That's the impact that he has. That's when we respond as the wise men did and we come and we bring our best. We do this. He exchanges it for these different things where there's not going to be violence. There's not going to be uh, pain or despair anymore. And here's the cool thing about it too, right, is that sometimes we think that eternity will start, you know, all these things, we'll see these things on the other side of this life, right? But here's the thing. Eternity is forever. So even right now, 
We can experience this type of stuff. It, it, you know, the things of God sometimes can be now and not yet. There's a now that we can experience. There's a joy that we can experience now. There's a freedom from despair. There's a freedom from depression. There's a freedom from hopelessness. There's a freedom from sin even now where we can live in joy, where we can live following Jesus, following that light, wherever it is that he's guiding us and trusting and knowing that we're going to be able to exchange our fear, our doubt, our pain, our remorse, or whatever it is, for the joy, for peace, for his mercy as a king, right? Not to come to judge and punish, but to be judged and to be punished so that way we could have access to God and be able to, to see him move in our lives in these ways. And so I'm excited to see how God does this in your life, right? So jump into, plug into a community group, find somebody that you can connect with, who you can share this journey with, right? Because the wise men, they didn't do it alone. They were together, right? And they were able to share this thing together. And so find somebody you can connect with that you can share this with to see what God would want to do, because we cannot do it alone. I'm going to pray, and we'll get up out of here. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness, for sending your son God, just for the impact that you've had on my life, the ways that you've redeemed uh, my life and restored things that I never could have imagined, God. And I thank you that you can do the same for every person in this room. So God, I pray that we would really consider what are the different things in our lives that we need to give over to you, God, to exchange with you so that we can get what you have for us, so we can live the life that you called us to live with joy, God, and with purpose. So we thank you for it, Jesus. In your name, amen. the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.